doesn't love a, a good story about an underdog, you know, an individual who had it hard in life, didn't have much growing up, and now became very successful and have built an empire around themselves? It's the American story. It's the American story. Yeah. So y'all take a listen to this episode. This was not initially recorded for the Stuff About Money podcast, but I sat down with a friend of mine, fellow podcaster, Jason Cass, and we had a conversation with two individuals, one who's been a guest on our show, my dad, Felix Garcia, and then a younger individual, Evans Gene. Evans is from Haiti, young 30 or early 30s. Uh, but both of them came to this country, didn't speak the language, and built successful businesses. And Evans is still building his his business here. Um, both of them are in the insurance space, and the, the podcast show is in the insurance space. But you're going to love the story, even though you're not in the insurance space. So y'all take a listen. Let us know what you think. Xavier, I'd be rich if I had a dollar every time I heard someone say, man, I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know today about money. They need to be teaching about this stuff in school. Like the power of investing early. Compound interest. That alone would impact lives. Understanding and planning for taxes. Understanding the difference between both good debt and bad debt. Eric, what about all the stuff about money that business owners need to know? What kind of insurance should you be buying? The importance of contributing towards your retirement. They don't teach any of this stuff in school. Y'all sit back, get ready, because we are talking stuff about money they didn't teach you in school that you need to know. All right, all right, all right, you loyal listeners. Welcome to another episode of agent's influence and that's the one we're going to go with you notice i kind of stuttered there because this is not me this is me i mean this is really me talking and this is the podcast but this podcast was inspired and brought to us by mr eric garcia now you guys know him he down there from that place down on nola i call it the down under and he says no jason that's australia bro we're still Mm -hmm. in the same country that's right but to the rest of the world is still kind of down under. We love it there. We're going there for brain share. He came to me and he said, Cass, I want to do this podcast and here's what it is. And I said, dude, let's do it. And here we are. Loyal listeners right now, it is May 13th at 10.50 a.m. in the morning. I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Eric Garcia. Tell me what you got planned, man. What was in your brain when you called and wanted to do this? Yeah, what's happening, y'all? Eric Garcia, certified financial planner. I am the one of the co-hosts of the Stuff About Money podcast. This is going to be a collaboration, obviously, with uh, with Jason and I. So here's the thing. We're at BrainShare Kansas City, and I love meeting new agents, and I love particularly meeting diverse agents. I think our industry, and most people would agree, is old and white, and anytime I'm able to meet uh, agent that serves the ethnic marketplace well and is ethnic themselves. It just it gets me excited. Y'all know my background. My background is is Cuban. Both my parents are Cuban. We serve an ethnic marketplace. Um, ethnic marketplaces are underserved. So immediately I introduce yeah. myself to Evans Gene. Evans is one of our guests, and he is from Haiti. Um, came to this country when he was 12. Now, what, what y'all might not know is there's a there's a there's a deep connection between Haiti and New Orleans. Not, we're not <laughs> going to go into the history of it. So, we got to talking. We hit it off, and in in talking to him, that his story is kind of my family story. 
My dad came to this country from a Caribbean island, not speaking the language, and ended up in the insurance industry. So I, I went to Jason and said, Jason, we got to get these two guys on a podcast telling us their stories about coming to this country, mm-hmm. not speaking the language, mm-hmm. and talking about how they fell into the insurance industry. And mm-hmm. we got these two guys are two generations apart. It'd be just a, a good time to, to hear them swap stories. So here we are. Yep. Two gentlemen that left voluntarily, or maybe not, probably not voluntarily, the Caribbean while I'm begging to go back every time we have vacation. So I tell you what, thank you very much. Uh, Eric, that is a good intro, and I'm glad it's someone like you who has a big heart, but you have a big heart because you have a road of understanding. I want to introduce, as he has, also Mr. Felix Garcia, because this guy has been a huge... um, blessing in my life over the last three months. Didn't really know him other than Eric talking about him all the time and seeing him and his dad sit around and, and have some wine every once in a while. Um, but, but Felix, I am, I am grateful to, to... What? We had rum. Rum. What did I say? Wine? Yes, we do. You said wine. We yeah, do rum, man. You don't have that down under. And cigars. Oh! <laughs> rum and cigars. Get it right, Cass. It is my fault. I mean, you go to the Caribbean, man. They're not drinking a lot of wine, Cass. Come on, buddy. You've been there. Let's act like you've been to the game. Um, Felix, welcome, buddy. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We're excited to have you. Thank you. All right. So um, I, I, I want to start with just a question for, for each of you. Man. I just want to hear your story about coming to America, right? Both of you came when you were teenagers or even as you were almost a teenager, mm-hmm. didn't speak a lick of English and ended up in this country. So share, share with us and, and Evans, you can go first, like maybe uh, share with us a story, like what was maybe the biggest obstacle of, of coming to America at that age and just trying to figure things out? Uh, at, at, uh, well, th- thank you for uh, <laughs> letting me be a guest on the podcast, man. Look, um, I had a great conversation with you, Eric, Jason, I mean, look, um, but anyway, man, um, when I first came to this country, it, it always a dream, like back home, back in the island in Haiti, man, coming to America, always a, it's a dream of every kid, man. Cause when you think about America, man, you're thinking about, um, it's the land of the opportunity. Um, another thing that we joke around too, is that people think that m- uh, money grow in tree, like. Like when you come to America, the you see a, a tree of money just falling on the ground. So that's how we back home. That's how we think about America. So coming coming here, man, as a as a teenager, man, was it, it was it was great. Um, in the beginning, uh, I wasn't I didn't know the language when I got here, man. And what got me was the temperature. Cause I'm I'm from a a, a a a a hot place. The temperature, yeah, the temperature, man. Not not even the language. The language was the second thing, but like, um, it's adapting to the to the to the temperature, man. Like when I got here, it was January and it was cold, and I didn't have a jacket. I had a t-shirt and a jean, and because uh, we flew out of JFK, and it was cold. It was freezing, man. So at that time, I was like, "Man, how people how people live like this, man? Like, I was like, I can't, I can't live like this. I'm a young, a young kid. I was like, how am I gonna live like this? Um, so that was one of the obstacles for me. The language came the next thing. Um, 
it was it was different, man. It was different, like learning the trying to learn the language. Um, they understand what people were saying. Uh, everything was new, man. Everything was new because I- did, did you have family in the states? Like, like how did yeah, you how did you that leave was my Haiti? Question. Actually, my so it started with my grandpa, uh, my grandpa and my mom's side. He came into the United States uh, in the 1980s. Then from there, he brought he brought my mom and my uncle and my aunt over uh, early 90s. So when my mom left, my mom left when I was when I was like three years old. My mom left, came to this country. Wow. So. Um, wow. So basically, I kind of grew up in a way. Grew up without no <laughs> mom being around at at that three years old. Um, then my mom and my dad they split up. They split up. They got divorced. They split up. Then from mm-hmm. there, it took my mom eleven from ninety four to two thousand three. So nine years. Is it nine years? Close, almost like close to ten years. To for us to for her to bring us here in the United States, um, it, it was a struggle. It wasn't. It's not easy, man. Uh, all the process, as Felix know, um, like the the paperwork, um, it, it was not easy, man. So my mom actually brought us here. So I have family, all my sibling, uh, my mom and my dad, they in the uh, in the state. And your mom didn't tell you it's cold. She didn't say Evans bring a jacket, man. I don't know if it was the excitement that she she had for us to come to this country, man. Like she didn't want us, man. She did not want us. So uh, <laughs> I didn't have no jacket, man. So that was that was one of the things for me. That's funny. The temperature. Wow. Yeah. If, if there's anything that that any of you interact with anybody from the south and in New Orleans, we joke one of the names for New Orleans is the northernmost Caribbean port because culture, I've food, temperature, that, yeah. it's very Caribbean. Man, and if the temperature drops below like 72 and we don't have a jacket, we're cold. Absolutely. I can see that. I can see that. So, Felix, same question for you. What was, you know, what was the, the maybe the biggest challenge coming to um, to America? Well, let me first begin by, by telling you that um, I was a very happy uh, kid in Cuba. Uh, unfortunately, I, I never had a father. I didn't grow up with a father. And uh, my mother was too young and inexperienced to take care of me. I had a grandfather who really loved me and cared for me. And he made sure that before he passed, uh, he uh, entrusted um, me to a family that, um, that he used to work for, who were very well off. And uh, although I was born in a poor home, I was raised like a uh, like a rich kid because his family took care of me. Wow. Um, left Cuba uh, when I was 15 years old with a man who uh, used to travel a lot. Uh, every year he would spend six months out of the year in Cuba and six months out of the year uh, traveling abroad. And he was at that, uh, that time about my age now, about 70, 75. And... Uh, he always brought a young man with him to carry his bags because he, he, he was old. And on the last trip, he asked me if I wanted to leave Cuba, and I said yes. So, so what, real quick context, what year was that? That was uh, 1963 when I left Cuba. I was 15 years old. Hmm. We, we went to Spain, uh, lived in Barcelona, Spain, until March 1964. Uh, from there, we got our visa, um, 
Then we uh, came directly to New Orleans. Uh, we traveled by boat and um, got to New York and eventually ended up here in New Orleans because he had a sister who lived here in New Orleans. A year later, after our arrival in New Orleans, uh, he, he died, he passed away, and I was left all alone with no family. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to stay at, um, with, uh, the, with his sister, but uh, I had to work because they were also Cuban refugees. All right? So I started working. Um, let me back up a little bit. I, when I first came in, I started, I started uh, to go to school, went to high school. But like I said, a year later, I had to quit because I had to work. But at one of the times that I was, um, you know, kids used to make fun of me because I, uh, I couldn't speak English at all. I was, hmm. uh, I mean, it, it was, and, and when I opened my mouth, uh, they realized that I was a foreigner. So I wasn't treated very well, you know, they would make fun of me. So one day traveling home after school, I always like to sit in the back of the bus because I don't like to have anybody behind me. That's been from from very young age. So I'm in the back of the bus and uh, there are some kids making fun of me. And I just got up, looked at them and I said, you see me now? One day I pick two languages, you only one. Just like that. <laughs> you hardly say anything. And sure enough, and uh, my kids uh, laugh every time I tell that story. <laughs> but anyway, it was um, when I first arrived in the United States, um, I was afraid. I was, um, I, I didn't think that the, that the, the, the wind that I, the, uh, the wind that I was breathing wasn't mine, that I was, uh, in, you know, the language barrier, new people, a new country. I didn't feel right about walking in the street because I just felt like, uh, like I was a, like I was a foreigner. I didn't believe I didn't belong here. And those were my feelings at the very beginning when I first thought it, when I first came here. Ebens, were those were those common <clears throat> feelings that you had as well? Yeah, especially when he said when when Felix say like people making fun of you because you don't speak the language. Um, I had that too, man. Like back in school, I was shy. I didn't wanna. I, w- I didn't want to talk because people like because you don't because the the language is not for you so you have a you have a thick accent so people make fun of you so that one I could I could definitely relate man I could definitely relate and um and also to is the is adapt adapting to the new culture so I could relate like mm. not understand the language um feel like I'm not I don't belong there because I'm not from here so uh, so. I could relate to what Felix is saying. And um, so, so for both ahead. of you, how long did it take to kind of feel like, all right, I belong here. Like this, like this is, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. Um, when I arrived in the United States in the audience, it was in the middle of the, um, the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, I had, uh, I had, several experiences, you know, with people uh, being um, prejudiced prejudiced against me. 
And one particular situation was um, uh, now I think I'm about 18 years old, uh, and I was already getting uh, acclimated to the to the United States. You know, I started losing all my my fears and all that. Started meeting people, so I started feeling more comfortable about being around. Uh, but at one time, I, I I didn't have a car, and um, I had a friend who was selling me an automobile. I remember correctly. I mean, uh, specifically was a Cutlass Supreme, and he was asking six hundred dollars. Now, six hundred dollars back in those days was a lot of money. It was with really uh, a lot of money. So I went to the bank uh, to ask for a loan, and although I had my checking account and my savings account, they denied the loan. So I went back to the bank and I said, I want to talk to one of the officers. Now here I'm 10 years old. I'm meeting with a man who is in his fifties. You know, I go in and I ask the question, why didn't I get the loan? He said, um, you foreigners think mm. that you're going to come to this country to make demand. So I immediately looked at him and he said, uh, excuse me, are you an American Indian? So what are you asking that? I said, because if you're not an American Indian, you're a foreigner just like I am. Thank you. Take your money and keep it. And I just walked out. And I, I moved my account from there. And But those, uh, you know, it, it, at the beginning, it really it really uh, hit me hard. But then I, I, I just say, this guy is ignorant. Hmm. And so I, but those are the things that um, that I went through, you know, growing in this country at that age. So, so he, oh, hold on. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, 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 First of all, I want you to know, Ebens, that the government of America actually thinks that money grows on trees, too. I, I just want you to know that. They, they think that as well, okay? It does. Um, very important. I had to make that note. One thing I want to ask, and this is what I can't wrap my brain around, okay? Um, it, it just being, it just being, it doesn't matter being white or anybody, just coming from another place, coming in and saying that you can't speak the language, I don't understand that. My, I can't wrap my head around the fact that you got off the bus, Ebans, and you're like, shit, it's cold, but you said it in your language. And then, and then like, you've got to go buy a sandwich, right? Like, how do you, I mean, how, how are you going to school and listening to what they're trying to teach you? I, I don't, you, I know that's funny, but I, I, can't, I can't wrap my head around it. It's hard to think when you're cold. <laughs> yeah, it is very hard to think when you're cold. But I mean, Felix or Ebens, one of I mean, how how, did, how how was that first day of school when you don't know what anybody's saying? Well, I, I tell you a couple of stories. I one time I went to uh, this um, a sandwich shop, and I wanted to have a shrimp a shrimp sandwich. I couldn't say shrimp; I say a spring sandwich, and they looked at me funny. What? I said a spring sandwich. <laughs> Finally, I had to just point to what I was to what I wanted it, and all the time I wanted a ham sandwich, and I offered a ham sandwich. Okay, <laughs> I can see that. I can see Eben. I mean, same things with you. I mean, how did you do that, man? First day of school, man. I didn't. I didn't understand anything. Everything was like it, it, it didn't make no sense, man. Like I remember, um, my mom actually dropped us like to by the bus stop. And all she told me is that when anybody, if anybody asks you a question, tell them that you don't speak English. 
And I couldn't even say I couldn't even say that. Like I couldn't even. She said, "Tell them you don't speak English." <laughs> and when I got to school, man, I was lost. Now, cause uh, everybody I was that was on the bus, uh, the school bus, they speak English. Uh, so when I got when I got to school, man, I had to point at stuff. No. Um, so, but yeah, the first day of school, yeah, first day of school, man, I, I didn't quite understand anything. Like I didn't understand it, uh, a damn thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking to this lady in Cuba. She actually teaches English uh, to Cubans um, when I was in Cuba. And she said that you can teach them over and over, but the best way to teach them is to use the hands. Right. Like if you do this, they all know that you're flying back to America. If you're watching YouTube, you get to see this, but like a plane going off with your hand. And so rather than me trying to explain it, I could just I could go like that. And they're like, oh, okay, I know exactly. And she said that that's a way that they teach them in Cuba. The English is is the English. Teach them English. Sign language. Sign language. Cuban Cubans, it's a Latin culture. And, and I would imagine even it's probably similar in Haiti. You you wanna you wanna really um, uh, quiet a Cuban? Tie their hands behind their back. They cannot yeah. speak if they don't have hands. <laughs> yeah. That's actually kind of funny. That's actually kind of funny. That's very true. That's very true. And it sounds like even that was similar with you. I mean, you were pulling yeah. at things like, hey, you know, I just can't imagine sitting in math class. I didn't understand math. I got an F in math, and I understood what she was saying. Okay, you guys are getting good grades in the damn thing, and you can't even understand her. So good, good for you. I just think that's interesting. And then the last thing I want to ask you, real quick, uh, it goes back to that similar thing. I'm trying to get your guys' feelings because that's what's really hard for for Jason, who was born in Phoenix, Arizona, um, to to understand. Is what was your thoughts when you got that first paycheck? You got that first paycheck, and obviously, it's the dinero is worth, or the the, the dinero, the U.S. dollar is worth more than you know better other currencies. So here you go, you work forty hours, and you get this. $300 check or Felix it was back in the 80s it was probably $200 and that was that was huge money. 60. How much? Back in the 60s. Si- oh, 60 but I'm talking about in America. Oh, okay. We're in no, America. I was I was I was already in America in the 60s, 64. Okay, that's right because you went over to Barcelona and then yeah, okay, my fault, my fault, right. my fault. Felix for always I've always thought that you came in the 80s and I don't know why. I just always think cuz there was a big um Castro let him let uh, a lot of people the Maria, come over. The Maria boat lift yeah. was in the 80s. He made yeah. a deal with like Carter or something like that. President Carter or ex-president. Mm-hmm. Pat, post- yeah. yeah, and then they let him come no, through. It was, uh, it was John F. Kennedy, the president, when I left. Right. And there was a big scare, which is interesting, that Castro was going to do nothing but open the prison system and allow a lot of those people to come to America. And actually, I heard that that happened a little bit, but the Cubans tell me that didn't happen as much. That was American propaganda. Well, that was on the that happened on the Maria lift when there's uh, <clears throat> and that would happen in the eighties. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but 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 you got to think prisoners in Cuba are not like prisoners in New Orleans. Right. Like you go to jail in Cuba because <laughs> you bought you bought a cow on the black market or yeah had us dollars good point good right point. so like it's also a good point well, because you spoke bad about the government you mm-hmm. know you didn't feel uh, you don't agree with the government and people will go to jail for that yeah, yeah. 
And then, and so, so that was, that was important to me though. It's like, you come here, you want the land of opportunity and then Ebens, you start working and you're like, wow, I really am now starting to make the American money and I can actually start to buy things. I mean, what was that feeling at the initial part of, Hey, I'm going to go look for my own place. Are you still living with your mom? I mean, what were you doing at that very beginning part? Uh, at the very beginning part, my first job was at McDonald's. Okay. And um, when I was about four, 14, 14 uh, I got my first job. And I remember my first my first paycheck, man. My first paycheck that I ever got, it was about $150, $150, man. And I went with that money. I saved some. I went and bought a phone. <laughs> and it, 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 was, it was the best best feeling man as a kid man look i could i could work and make my and make my yes. own money um so it was the best feeling for me um because back home it's it's a little bit different because as a young age back home like you have to you have to work you have that work ethic already um most kids are working from <laughs> six to seven years old or even younger like you already have that work ethic so i understand that work ethic at an early age back home um and when i came here man like it, it was it was no brainer for me because i know I, I know i have to i have to work no i have to work so mm -hmm. and I'm one of the thing one other thing and i want to turn this over to you eric um i hear eric you talk about and i think it's because of your background and community is so important to you i also think it's new orleans you guys are just different cats down there. But when I talk to Ebens and I talk to him about his agency and I talk to him uh, on the other podcast, loyal listeners, I have uh, another podcast we did probably about a month, month and a half ago from when you're listening to this. And it, I remember you told me, Ebens, your, your commitment is to your community. That's what's huge for your agency, you know, and I, and I hear that. And I, and I think that's a breath of fresh air. That's something that Americans um, who um, are spoiled in their ways. It's so weird because I'm not here to talk bad about being a white person, but we also have our very, very limited view of the world. Um, I just think it's interesting how you guys are so community involved. What do you think about that, Eric? Do you think that that's New Orleans? Do you think that's you and your background, ethnic no, background? No, no, no. So, so this, this is totally a cultural thing. you got to understand, America is a very – we're very independent. This is not right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the American right. is very independent, right? If you if you look at how we live, how we work, uh, we have yards, we have fences. You, you go to Cuba, you go to Haiti, you go to a lot of other countries around the world, particularly your third world countries or your underdeveloped countries. Dude, if you don't have community, you don't survive. It, it is about the community. It is it is your 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 you you are plugged in. It, it's that that it takes a village. That's a very cultural thing. That's not a a liberal or conservative or social or 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 you know um, commentary. It's just that's just reality. Like extended family is. I grew up living. My grandparents lived across the street, and then when my grandfather passed away, my grandmother moved in. And like that's very common. So community, family, man. We had people over for for Christmas. Like I call them cousins. I don't even know if we're related. Right? They're related by you know. <laughs> So I think it's a very cultural thing that in America we look at very th we look at things independently. It's me centric, 
in most other countries, it's us centric. Mm -hmm. I think that's a struggle we're going through right now with America. It's one of the reasons why we don't want to be part of the collective world, because that would make us to have to make decisions with other people. As opposed to Americans, we want to be very independent. Not saying one's right or wrong. Anybody loyal listeners listening, you disagree with me? Who cares? It's my show. Shut up. There was something, Felix, that you said. You said, Felix, something when he was talking. I said that we call everybody primos. Primos. Primo is cousin. Primos. What does that mean? First, best, whatever. Primo is cousin. 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 Oh, primos is cousin. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, every, everyone's family. Everyone's related. So I think that's yeah. a, it's, it's incredibly cool. Even our friends, you know, we call him primo. Yeah. Okay. And for some reason in America, we politicize everything. And I kind of have like a foot in both worlds, right? You know, like the um, born to immigrant parents, but grew up in America. So I, I, I kind of have like two perspectives. Um, and we like to, especially now, we like to polit. Everything is has a political edge to it. And it's mm-hmm. it's, it's not political, right? Like you, you can believe in, in community and this idea that it takes a village and not be, you know, a, a liberal progressive right it's just everything has become everything is so political in mm-hmm. in this country yeah, it's, a very, it's very much so jason you asked the question about paychecks so i, w- I want to kind of skip ahead here See, I both it was you, perfect yeah it's fantastic so let's let's talk about let's talk about investing for your retirement no, i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> um both both of you in Listeners, if you if you know immigrant uh, families, there's something about immigrants that have. You know, Jason, you talked about work ethic, and Evans, you talked about work ethic. Man, you look around you. There are so many successful immigrants. The work ethic is just it, it blows me away. Um, so you both came here, worked through some, um, you know, worked through. Uh, a lot of obstacles, a lot of people. You probably had to work a little bit harder to be successful than I had to work to be successful That's for true. various reasons. True. You had you had to overcome things that I didn't have to, that the majority of these listeners didn't have to overcome. And y'all found yourselves in the insurance industry. So tell us a little bit, how did you end up in this space? And you talk about money growing on trees. If there's an industry, Jason, you talk about insurance industry being, you know, the best industry that God ever created. That's right. This is an industry where if you do things right, money does kind of grow on trees. You're it's damn hard, right about you know, that. You can make good money. How did y'all end up in this industry? Well, Even you can go first. I was gonna, I was gonna let the man go first, Garcia. I was gonna let Felix go first because he's been a, he's an OG, so he's been in the game longer than, than I do, man. Let let him go first. I let him go first on this All one. All right. All right, Felix. Okay, there's a story about this guy who was told, "Hey, man, you gotta go to the United States because the money is everywhere on the streets." So he gets off the boat and is walking and sees a hundred dollar bill on the floor, kicks and he says. Well, I pick it up, there's more. <laughs> so he went on, he didn't pick up the $100 bill. <laughs> anyway, when I first came, uh, I inherited, um, uh, now I'm 16 years old, I inherited a bicycle from, uh, from a guy that I used to go to school with before who had a, um, a paper route. And uh, I used to get up in the morning, uh, four o'clock in the morning to this, uh, deliver papers I don't remember how much I was making at the time. Then uh, during the day, I had another job. I was a courier bringing documents from office to office. 
um, because at the time there was no there was no um, there, there was no way. I mean, everything had to go. Uh, you had to walk uh, to the office and bring those paperwork. And then at night, I had another job, march, marking merchandise at a store called DH Homes, which used to be a, a fine store. Like a department store. And then store. it was um, it was taken over by I think um, Macy's or something like that. Dealers. Dealers. It was taken over by dealers, and uh, so I had three jobs, and I've always been. Uh, I, I always I, I always said on Eric knows that uh, I used to tell my kids. If you make five dollars today, spend three and save two for tomorrow, because that's what I used to do. I used to save money. But anyway, um, I ended up in the insurance business because I only lasted at least no more than three years in a job. If I was there and I didn't see that I could not move up for whatever reason it may be, and I would look around and say, well, this guy, he would have to quit or he will have to die in order for me to, to, to advance. So I didn't see I didn't see the way. So I kept changing, kept changing jobs. And in 1977, I entered into the insurance business. I quit a job that it was paying very well. I was making uh, $375 a week working as a manager in a supermarket. And um, and I quit that to go to 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 come to the insurance business making $250 a week plus commission. And my first year in the business, I was the number five rookie in the Southern region. Wow, that didn't okay. surprise me. I, I, even, I even went to one of the conventions. I've made one of the conventions, okay? And from there on, my, you know, I started uh, doing better and better. But then in 1980, I was limited to life insurance only with the company that I was with. So a friend, uh, a friend of mine who had been working with me at the same company moved and he moved to um, to another company who was a lot smaller than the one that I was working for. So I, I saw that he was being able to sell property and casualty and every other products. So I decided to come with this company and I was with this company for up until last year in June, 40 years with, uh, with the company. And uh, I, I did very well. I did very well in the insurance business. It was my niche. It was uh, because I wanted it to be independent. I didn't want to have anybody to tell me what to do. I didn't want to have anybody to tell me, I'm going to pay you this. This is what you're worth. And when I went to work for the, for the supermarket, they told me, we're going to pay you $2.80 an hour. And what I wanted to tell this man was, who are you to tell me what I'm worth? I'm worth more than two eighty. But if I would have told him that, I would have never gotten the job. Okay, so I had to just take it and eat it. But that's how I always felt. I wanted to be independent. Um, tell, tell, tell the story real quick about your first paycheck when you when you started selling property and casualty insurance. And then, after three years with the other company, <laughs> I had to give up everything and move into a new company again, starting all over again. And when I got my first property and Cashed the check. It was, uh, I think, it was forty-five dollars, and I really got angry. And I walked into the man's office. This man was—I mean, he was a gentleman. He was a, a great manager. And I stood in front of him, and I took the check and I threw it at him. I said, "Who do you? Th I mean, do you think I can feed a family with the forty-five dollars?" <laughs> and 
thinking back now, if I would have been him, I would I would have told me, just get the heck out of my office, don't ever come back. He I would have fired the guy. Mm-hmm. Because I was disrespectful to this man who was a gentleman. He sat me down and, uh, and he talked to me and he said, you know, it takes time. You know, it's, um, it's like a field you have to plant first and then later on you would recover. You will recover the, uh, the benefit from what you do. Uh, now that I'm older, if somebody, if I would have been the manager, somebody would come to me and do what I did to him. I would have done exactly what he did. This man saw in me potential. He saw potential in me. Mm. And I'm, I'm grateful that he did not fire me because uh, I really deserve to be fired for, for losing my patient and being disrespectful to the man. Mm-mm-mm. So, um, and that's my story. Love it. Of my first check. Love it. <laughs> Evans, how about you? Man. Great. So, <laughs> ooh. So mine is actually, man, um, a, a, a friend of mine um, was on the, on the employee benefit side. So he introduced me to the employee benefit side where he used to go into company selling legal insurance, basically providing legal services to different uh, organizations. Um, and he introduced me to that. So I started doing that. From there, I saw I saw seeing other agents, other broker coming in uh, when I go to these uh, companies, and something in my mind said, "Just ask them how how do they do that? Because they have a, a agency. Um, how do they do that?" So, struck a conversation with one of them. They told me they have to get licensed, and this is how they went about doing it. So, uh, I got my shot with Allstate. So. When I went, put an application with Allstate. So I got an opportunity working for Allstate uh, as a captive, captive agent. Did a couple years there. Then what I found out uh, by working there is that I was limited. I was limited as a captive agent. I couldn't serve fully serve my, my community the way I wanted to, to serve my co- co- community. Uh, then my wife, who was on the independent side already, um, who's been there years? She she told me, and hey, look, go into the independent side. Give uh, give the give. She give me one of the broker uh, contacts. She said, give him a call. Go work for that person. Uh, when I worked, when I went to work for that independent uh, uh, broker, uh, and I had a like little, similar story with uh, what Felix had. Um, I was one of the top agent for that broker on the independent side, and. It was one thing that actually that broker did. Uh, I remember, I remember sitting down, and one and one month I brought this gentleman over a hundred, a hundred thousand dollars in premium. Guess what my paycheck was? My commission was what a hundred dollars. Son of a bitch. So. I'm not good at math. I'm not good at math, right? And <laughs> I had a conversation with the with the with the owner. Went to his office, had a conversation with him because it was supposed to be ten percent, ten percent of of a hundred mm. of hundred k in premium. It's not it's not a hundred dollars. 
So had a conversation mm-hmm. with a man and I hand him the check. I hand him the hundred dollars uh, 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 commission check. I was like, you could have it. You could keep it. From there, man, that was like the light bulb for me. Uh, and plus my son was born. It gave me another motivation uh, to become to become my own boss, not to become independent, man. And that was like my wake up call. I had to do something different because if I keep working for this from this person, I'm building this 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 person dream. I'm not building my own dream for my for my family. So that was my wake up call, man. And from there, we went in. Uh, my wife and I we put our, our heads together, man. Put our plan together uh, to open our own agency, and we we took the risk. Now it was a risk that we had to take, and we took it, man. That was the best decision ever. Mm-hmm. So. I see, I see, I see Felix shaking his head, kind of nodding along. Yeah, what, I do what, too. what are you thinking, Dad? Like, what I want, I want to hear, what are your, as you're hearing Eben's story, what are you thinking? No, it, it's, uh, it's again, I, I see the, um, that when you come into a new country, you know, your desire to succeed, it, it's, it, it's, it's engraven in, in, in every one of us. You know, I see many, many foreign, especially the Vietnamese community. They are really, they come here and they work hard. I, I see blacks from uh, from other countries, from Haiti, from uh, J- Jamaica. They making it, they're doing well because uh, they, because they have the opportunity uh, to, to to work and, and, and to be able to make money. And it, so it, it's... I, th- I think when you, when you I, look I, at it, <laughs> Jason, this kind of goes back to the to that question you asked earlier about about the the community in, in the culture. So if you go to you've been to Cuba right now. You 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 know, you go every now and then, Jason. Mm-hmm. And if you ever ask a Cuban in Cuba, what do they do for a living? Right? Like if you ever ask that question, typically mm-hmm. what they're going to say is that what would they say? You ask a Cuban, "Hey, what do, what do you do? How do you how do you make ends meet?" What do they say? Felix you asking me? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you ask Cuban, if you go to Cuba today, say, "Hey, what, what do you do for a living?" What are they going to tell you? I, I forgot. I forgot what they say, but it's um, something like uh, we, we resolve things. Re, yo resuelvo. Yo resuelvo. We resolve. Yo resuelvo. Things. Meaning, meaning, I, I'm going to make it. I'm. I, yeah. I find a way to well, do I'll, it. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. We, we, they, they, there's yeah. this hustle, right? Yeah. And I think that's common in a lot of immigrants. Is you know mm-hmm. what? No one's going to give me anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have to earn everything that I get. Mm-hmm. I don't have the the resources to plug into that someone else might. I don't have I don't have family with money that are are giving me opportunities or giving me a start in business. Mm-hmm. So there's this hustle that man I got to grind it out if I'm going to make ends meet. And then for for the guys like Evans and, and Felix, you start to see like wait a minute. I'm putting in twice as much hustle than that guy. And that son of a gun is making more money than me. I'm better than him. I can do that. And it's just that hustle, man. They just and, get things done. And to add to that, before there were immigrants, which we were always immigrants, as he said, unless you're American Indian, um, women have been here forever and it's the same thing with them. They're not paid what they're supposed to be. They, 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 it's just as unequal. I don't want to say just as unequal, but it is very unequal. You know, here's the word we're all missing. I'm waiting, right? I'm waiting for Felix. I'm waiting for Ebens. I'm, I, and it's like, 
this is a word we don't use anymore. And But where I think about this word is not so much what immigrants and who they are with their work ethic, but who we've become as Americans today, and we lack this. And the word is called grateful. When we talk mm. about the things, mm. when I look it up right now, I love doing this stuff. It's expressing gratitude, grateful thanks, affording a pleasure or contentment, pleasing by reason of comfort supplied and discomfort. I like this alleviated. That's actually the definition of, of what, of what they say grateful is. And I think that that's today where I see the American worker a lot of time who is abusing or wanting more and saying, are you grateful for what you have? Cause when I went to Cuba, I realized that they have nothing and they're grateful. Mm -hmm. They have nothing. You know why? Because as long as they have each other, as long as, 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 as they've got Jesus, right? That, that they feel grateful just to wake up. And it's like, there's people who are going and they're making $40 an hour with full benefits and we're going to strike because we want 42. I'm not here to get into that argument or not, but I think we need to be grateful and be understanding of where we truly, truly live. Um, it's probably, it's pretty amazing. So I think that that is something that was said there. I'm, we need to wrap this up, but I, I want you to know, I've got the name I, as I'm over here typing guys, I'm, I'm, I'm typing notes to the team. Um, and, but you guys have some great sayings, but what we're going to name this is coming to America. I felt the wind I was breathing was not mine. That's something Felix said. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and when he said it, I really saw Eben shaking his head. Yes, because mm -hmm. I think that summed it up right, right. As an immigrant coming here, I felt the wind I was breathing was not mine. I really, really like that a lot. I hey, know. Jason, I got a, I got a shop question for them real quick. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not shutting down right talking, now. I just want to kind of bring it to that spot. Yeah, yeah. Because I struggle as an agency owner. One of my biggest struggles is hiring. And the reason is because I always remember my dad telling me, son, don't ever let anyone tell you what you're worth. And my, my struggle always is, man, I'm hiring somebody and I'm telling them what they're worth. And I always heard his voice in my mind, like, man, like, like I, I, there was always this tension there. So you, both of you coming to this country, hustling, kind of having that same, that same mentality of, man, I can make money in this business. No one can tell me what I'm worth. How have you dealt with that? Maybe that, that tension of, man, I don't want to do to them what somebody mm -hmm. did to me. Ebens, you go first, man. First, um... I want to be honest with anybody, anybody that that we hire, man. Like, um, like you said, because I don't want to tell the person you worth that. Uh, especially when it come producer, it, when it comes to producers, man. I'm looking at this. If you have that mindset, that that driven mindset, that entrepreneur mindset, that's the kind of people that that we look for. Um, and with that, like the sky is the limit. Now. So I'm not going to tell the person as, uh, as a producer, I'm going to tell you, look, you could make as much as you want. Right. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be up mm -hmm. to you, mm -hmm. the work that you put in. But what I find out is that a, a, a lot of people don't want to put that work in. Yeah. No, they want, they want, they want us to hand them the, <laughs> the, the paycheck, the commission, like everything. But, they're not willing to put the, that work in. If you're willing to put that work in, the sky's the limit, especially in this in this industry. You could make as much as you want, but it depends it depends on 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 you. 
really depends on you. It really does. So, it's, so it seems it seems like it seems like giving them that opportunity. Like, hey, you're 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 coming in as a CSR, and this is what that mm-hmm. position pays. But there's opportunity if you want to be a producer to make more money. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of how yes. you approach it? Yes. And if they choose not to, that's cool. Then they're going to make what they're going to make what 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 a fair wage would be in, in that as, role. As Eben said, they're setting their own value. Now we're not setting mm-hmm. the value, right? That's value. True. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like that. Eben's very, very, very forward thinking. Eben's, how long have you been an agency owner? Uh going four years now. Okay. Okay. So not brand new. You know, you ain't some new kid on the block. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Felix, anything you have thoughts on that? Well, I've been an agency owner for, what, 40 years? Uh, there was one time that um, my agency was producing. Uh, as a matter of fact, when, after Eric graduated, you know, he came in uh, with us. And he knows that we were always uh, very fair with, um, with our employees. Um, we had a lady uh, who was on commission. And, uh, and a base salary, and she was making book of money uh, the, up until Katrina. There's a reason. There's backstory to that. So he, he was captive. Let me, let me give the backstory real quick. He was captive. Katrina hit New Orleans. Okay, before, let me back up before that. Um, any business that he couldn't place with his company, he was able to place with the, with the citizens, Louisiana citizens here in, in, in uh, Louisiana. And he didn't want anything to do with it. Right, so he told his producer, "You write it, you keep fifty percent of it." Okay, so that was their agreement. So she could write as much; she kept fifty percent of that business. Katrina hits the company he represented, started canceling everybody. Well, not everybody, but a lot of policies. I can imagine. So the only person that was writing was Louisiana citizens. Didn't matter who was writing it in the agency; he had that agreement with with this with this producer. And I'm doing the books one day, and I'm looking at this, and we're like in May, and I go to him. I said, "Do you realize?" And I say producer, she wasn't a traditional producer. She's not out there hitting the streets. I mean, she was more of like a, a producing CSR service type person. You know, with the captives, it's it's so easy to service. Um, so she would basically just write business. That was We had a lot of referral business coming through. I went to her like in May. I said, she's going to make, this is in 2006 probably, 2006, 2007. So she's going to make over $100,000 this year. Wow. Wow. And she wasn't a traditional producer. And I said, we, we got a problem. Your contract says this. So like, what are we going to do? So we, we honored that contract that year. And when we went to her and said, here's the problem. This company's canceling everybody. We're, we're writing it over here and you're keeping 50% of it. And we can't afford as an agency to do this, but we're going to honor it this year. And then we, we kind of readjusted her contract after that. But man, I'm like, we can't, that we can't do this. They can't. Well, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. He's gracious, but also understanding. I, I'm too gracious with my employees. Uh, according to Travis, they all make too much. Uh, to me, I want to keep paying them more, but there is a limit to that. Um, but I do like what you said, Evans. I like how you how you how you structured that around. Is is I I'm the agency can only pay you this to make money, but inside that you can make as much as you want, right? I mean, there's some agents that get paid the same and make 250,000 and another agent in the agent, same agency makes 80. So yeah, mm-hmm. anything, um, uh, you know, here's, I want to get, maybe everything's different. Maybe it's not. Tell me about maybe one of your favorite books. Leaders are readers and readers are leaders and you both are leaders. So you must be readers. So tell me about some of the books that you're reading as we wrap up here. Ebens, you tell me first. Uh, I'm reading the, 
Power, The Power of Broke by Damon John. The Power of Broke, B-R-O-K-E? Mm-hmm. Yeah, B-R-O-K-E. Yeah, wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. I like that. Uh, Eric's writing yeah. that baby down. Look at him. Has yeah, by the, the FUBU f- uh, 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 founder, Damon John. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shark yeah. oh, yeah. Tank. Shark Tank guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good, good, good call there. I haven't heard that one. A lot of times I hear the repeats. Uh, Felix, you reading anything right now? I am not much of a reader, <clears throat> but the reader that I, the book that I keep in my on my desk all the time is one that I wrote, which is called Ingredients for Success. You wrote that, and Felix? It's of, yes, it's on top of my desk. Eric doesn't tell everybody because he wants everybody to think he's the coolest of the Garcias. <laughs> I mean, what the oh, hell? Man, I've never claimed. I have never claimed that, man. Yeah, well, Dude, what the hell? I would say, not, so. He's, he's writing masterpieces over here, and you're not telling anybody. <laughs> Look at that. Oh, look, look at that. that. Once again, Jason, no lie. When, when I first came into this business, my office was right across from his, and I would sit there and I would listen to him talk to people. And like literally, I'd be like, holy crap. Like, how did he get away saying that? Like, I could, I'm like 22 years old. I'm like, oh my God, I could never say that. Like, he said, the, and, then, and then people were like, like, he would say it with such confidence, and they would buy more crap from him. I'm like, <laughs> my God. Dude, dude, my mentor, Mike Beard, was the same way. There was no – I had the office right next to them. There was no uh, uh, insulation in the wall, and I would listen to him. Same thing, Eric. I would sit there and go, man, I can't wait till I can talk to people like that. And it wasn't rude. As you said, it was confidence and it's here's what you need. And just the other day, Jake said to me – he's 23, works in my office. He said, Jason, I can't wait until I can talk to customers <laughs> like you talk to them. And I was like, wow. That was one of those moments where I had to walk outside like, oh, shit. That's what I was told 20 years ago, you know? So, so you know what his job is? You know what his job is today? So he he, you know, he left the agency that he was with, the, the captain he was with. Now he's working for me. You know what his job is? What? We literally give him lists of clients to call because he loves this crap. And it's usually problems. It's claims that aren't resolved, people oh who haven't God. paid – policies that have gone up by 30% and he freaking thrives in it. He comes in when he wants, makes the calls when he wants and like sends biz- new business. So if someone complains about their premium, next thing we know, he's like s- sending them to, to, to our producer and she's writing more insurance for him. Oh and he my loves that gosh. Crap. Felix, if we'd have known this, we'd have had, reti- had you retire 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm a client's client's advocate. (laughs) You are. You are. That's enough said. I hate to say it, but that's when the clients drive me crazy. I got to get them out of That's too much energy for me. I got to get them in somebody's hands who can take care of them. Yeah, that's too much energy for me. All right, guys. Hey, wrapping it up. Anybody have anything last words to say? E-Pens, got anything? All I'm going to say is that if you have a dream, take the risk. Now, Mm -hmm. be be a risk taker for your dreams, for your family. No, mm-hmm. be, take that risk. Anybody that's listening, um, anything that you want to do in life, you got to be able to take risks. And um, and that risk that you're going to take is going to be worth it at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eric? Um, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Felix. I was, I was thinking Garcia. Felix? I, I'm just going to uh, I have something to read out of the book over here, but I'm just going to say that the road to success is always on the construction. I love quotes. I don't know who made that quote, but I love it. Mm. Now, I, I, I'm going to read something out of the book that I, that I wrote. And, uh, and if, you ask, if you ask me, what does success mean? I'll tell you what I don't think success is. You know, some people think that success is 
driving an expensive automobile, buying a big house, being successful in the business, um, driving an expensive car, living in a mansion. And success is more than that. Success to me is the way you walk the path of life each day. It is the things you do and the things you say. Success is the way we live our life each day, is how we communicate with others. It is the legacy we leave behind. Success is being big of heart and open-minded. Success is being faithful to your friends and kind and generous to strangers. Success requires loving and caring for your family and all the things we learn from their experiences. Ultimately, success requires showing you good conduct and reputation all day and every day with everything you do. Even when somebody is not looking, that is what spells success. Love that, dude. I absolutely love that. <sighs> when did you write your book, Felix? Um, I think it was right after Katrina when we thought we had, uh, we thought we had lost uh, everything. And we hired, um, uh, Eric and I, we hired a, um, a coach. It's 2007, and, um, yeah, 2007. Remember that? We hired a coach. And one time I was talking to him and I was telling things aloud, things that I, what I felt. And all of, all of the notes is from uh, meetings that I used to go, conference that I used to go. And every time something hit me, I would just write it down. And I had a bunch of... Uh, uh, written stuff written in a file and he said you know you should put that in a book and I said me write a book I don't know how to write a book but then one day I said well let me go ahead and try it and um, nothing stops Felix Garcia look at him yeah once again I say it over and over on all these podcasts you got to watch YouTube you got to see the book you got to meet uh, Felix face to face and Ebens. Eric wrapping it up anything buddy man I can't follow that up I, I know, mean, I know. That's, that's, that's uh, <laughs> so, I, I will say this. I will say this. I am. Uh, when you want to talk about privilege, I sit back and say, "Man, like I won the and I, and I, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I won the lottery when it comes to parents, not just dad, but parents. That mm -hmm. I am tremendously blessed in that. Um, I can honestly say that the past 20 years of being 20, 21 years of being in business day one, I stepped foot in this office. He looked at me as an equal and he gave me an equal voice to speak into business decisions. And I would say that, that not only has he been a fantastic father, but like there, there is truly this peership between the two of us where, 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 where we are peers and, um, man, I, I, I'm just incredibly blessed to be able to have someone to look up to. Like he didn't have a father growing up. Even as you shared your, you know, your parents split up. Um, Jason, I think you might have a similar story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my parents split up. Yeah. And like, I'm sitting here like, man, like I, what, what, what a blessing to be able mm -hmm. to have an earthly father who, who has character. And we don't always agree. Like we fight, we argue. Oh, yeah, I mean, we, we'll, we'll, we'll go toe to toe, but like, man, just when you talk about character and integrity and authenticity, um, that's makes that's, you that's grateful yeah incredibly grateful that's right that's right so loyal listeners here's the deal this has been overwhelming because as i've went through i've listened to what everybody said like you have maybe you don't listen the way that i do but i check off boxes um when i when i listen to this not only in there how grateful they are 
But I start to realize something that I, I, I really think is, is amazing. We have, you, you hear me talk about it a lot, loyal listeners, and really put together this podcast when we talk about the five truths of insurance. When you do it the right way, you're going to experience these. We talk about flexible schedule as the number one thing. Talking about being able, as, as Felix said, to plant today, but you're going to harvest tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Understanding that it is a long-term game, long-run game, but to be honest with you, after about eight to ten years, you can kind of put it in halfway gear and work 25 to 30 hours. That's one of the truths of insurance. The financial freedom and flexible, uh, the financial freedom you can get, which is truth number two. And you really think about how successful we actually all are. Um, Ebens, I guarantee you, would tell you that just like I would tell you, I've never thought that I would make this type of money. Mm. Never. I would never thought that I would have this, you know? Number three happens to be community builder. That's mm. another thing that you get another truth of insurance. And these people live it and breathe it. I specifically ask questions about it. Number four is empire builder. You heard Ebens talking about the fact that he didn't want to build his empire or build somebody else's empire. He wanted to build his. And when you get to know and you listen to the podcast that Ebens and I did, you'll find out that he actually doesn't build the empire. He entrusts other people in his organization to help build the empire by them building their own. That's just how he makes that connection there. And the fifth one's mentorship. And I think it's important because everyone of them talked about it. Eric just talked about it with Felix, being his dad, but also from day one being treated as an equal. That's mentorship. I'll find out a lot of times that some of the best mentors, I'll say to them, I'll say, you're a good mentor. And a lot of them will say, I didn't know. I was just doing what I thought I could do. And one of the things that I've read lately, I've been reading a book called uh, Radical Candor. And one of the things that the lady said, I think it's by Kim Scott or something like that, Kim something. One of the things she said is, is that uh, you were hearing it a lot, is that empathy is the future of this world. It is the number one emotion besides love, which has always been here. And Peter even says that's the best. Empathy says that we are, or that we are, Keep in mind what this is. I want to I want to say this real quick as we wrap this up. Sympathy is the fact that I understand where you're coming from. I feel your pain. Someone has passed. I have sympathy for you. I feel what that could be like because I've experienced it. Empathy is me listening to someone who's having an issue or maybe experiencing something, someone who died, and packaging that up and giving it back to them to let them know that you were listening to them. Mm-hmm. Evans, Eric, we were just taught this by Troy Smith, right? I never yeah. had had empathy. She takes it a step further and she says, what is compassion? And she explains that compassion is nothing more than empathy with action. And I think that that's where mentorship comes in. Listening to the struggles of where someone has been without having a father or having parents that were splitting up or coming from another country and being able to package that up and having no relative relation to what they're even thinking about, but to package it up and give it back to them, whether that's a producer or whether that's an immigrant or who that is, that is compassion. That is empathy in action. And I believe that mentorship, so through a flexible schedule, financial freedom, a community builder, empire builder, and also mentorship, these are the examples of the five truths of insurance and why we make this the greatest industry God ever created. I do what I do because I do it for you. Tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Cass. He's out. Information presented and discussed on the Stuff About Money podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute direct financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial advisor prior to implementing any strategies discussed.
Eric Garcia and Xavier Angel's branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor not affiliated with Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated.